talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month, we cover the top stories in retirement and healthcare, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. Okay, summer's finally here. Do you guys have any good plans? Well, not a lot of really scintillating plans, though I'm happy to say that um, my best friend from Seattle is having their uh, family reunion here in Milwaukee for lots of reasons I won't explain, but it's really, (laughs) uh, it'll be a fun time because it'll be her brothers and all their kids and her parents and everything, so it'll be fun to get together with them. Milwaukee's a fine destination. It That'll totally be is. fun. Well, they grew up here, so it oh, makes yeah. sense they're coming That'll back be nice. here. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, speaking of coming to back to the Midwest, my um, parents are going to be visiting next month, and they live in Arizona full time now. But we're all from the Midwest, so they're flying back, and we're going to go on a little road trip to Iowa, where I'm from, and have a really good time, I'm That's sure, seeing fun. family and friends and favorite destinations. You'll have to give me some tips, Kelly, because we are also taking a family road trip out west at the end of the summer here, and um, my husband has already ordered like road bingo cards to get <laughs> us through, so we're going to do like the classic throwback family road trip games, so it'll be, it'll be good times but I remember those bingo games yeah (laughs) confined area (laughs) how about you Justin going to baseball games a couple yes um I also just moved so my vacation days will be spent uh unpacking boxes and painting and pulling weeds and cutting grass so not as exciting as your trips so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you're a new homeowner so that is exciting very exciting all right, so are we ready to get started here? I think so. I think we can we are. dive into our benefits news. All right. So uh, as a reminder, uh, this podcast is being recorded on June 19th at 9 a.m. Central Time. News. 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 News from nerds. So starting with Social Security and Medicare, earlier this month, uh, the Social Security and Medicare Boards of Trustees released their annual reports on the financial status of the programs. The disability insurance program will be depleted in 2032, and the OASI fund will be depleted in 2034. Social Security's total cost is projected to exceed its total income in 2018 for the first time since 1982, and to remain higher through the projection period. Medicare's hospital insurance fund, or Part A, will be depleted in 2026, which is three years earlier than originally projected. At that time, revenues will be sufficient to pay 91% of the HI costs. The Supplementary Insurance Fund, or Parts B and D, is projected to remain adequately financed indefinitely. Kelly, I believe you have some news about health care mandates at the state level? That's right, Justin. Our ACA update today focuses on state responses to the 2017 tax law that reduced the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate penalty to zero, which in effect neutralized the mandate. Since then, several states have been considering legislation to restore an individual mandate, and recently two states passed legislation for that purpose. New Jersey's new law, which goes into effect January 1st of 2019, requires individuals without health insurance to pay a penalty equal to 2.5% of their household income 
or $695 per adult and $347 per child, whichever is greater, but up to a maximum per family of $2,085. The money collected will help fund a state-based reinsurance program. Also, the other state, Vermont, enacted a law to establish an individual mandate that will go into effect in 2020. That law set up a working group that's supposed to hammer out the details of the mandate and submit its recommendations to the state legislature by November 1st of this year so that the legislature can consider that in their 2019 session. And also, I have to add just this morning, last minute, the Department of Labor is issuing final regulations about association health plans. And again, those are the plans that allow small employers and self-employed individuals to band together so that they can buy insurance as a group and get better rates. What the regulations are proposing, or will allow, I should say, is to provide these benefits without following the strict rules of ACA. It's not popular with everyone involved, but those regs have come out today and we'll be looking more closely at Julie, do you have an update about the PBGC? I do. A couple of weeks ago, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, or PBGC, released their latest financial projections report. Now, as a reminder, the PBGC is an independent government agency that protects the pension benefits of workers and retirees. According to the report, their program for multi-employer defined benefit pension plans is showing a very high likelihood of becoming insolvent during fiscal year 2025. The multi-employer program covers 10 million people in about 1,400 defined benefit plans. About 130 plans covering more than 1.3 million participants are projected to become insolvent over the next 20 years. In contrast, the PBGC's program for single-employer pensions is in good shape. That program covers 28 million people and 22,000 defined benefit plans and is projecting a surplus of $20.1 billion for fiscal year 2026. In other PBGC news, in mid-May, President Trump nominated Gordon Hardogensis, an entrepreneur and the CEO of Oric Technology, to be PBGC director for a term of five years, replacing current PBGC director W. Thomas Reeder, who was appointed by President Obama and is halfway through his term. So that wraps up the news from Nerds for today. The International Foundation has two great conferences coming up. Communication is key when it comes to benefit plans. Learn how to better inform your participants and keep your messages on the cutting edge at the Benefit Communication and Technology Institute happening July 23rd and 24th, 2018 in Portland, Oregon. And the Fraud Prevention Institute for Employee Benefit Plans is happening even sooner. Uncover emerging trends in fraud and fraud prevention. Get the latest in cybersecurity and get guidance on best practices for risk prevention. The Fraud Institute is July 16th and 17th, 2018, in Boston. You can register for both programs at ifebp.org today. Speaking of fraud prevention, I never realized how valuable an identity protection plan could be until I was recently faced with a series of odd events. Um, I started getting weird things in the mail from China 
like a sponge or charge, charging cords, some other weird electronics. And knowing I hadn't ordered anything like that recently, I checked my bank cards and sure enough, I had been hacked. Mm -hmm. I know, you know a lot of people have dealt with this in the past with credit cards or debit card issues, um, but I actually was able to enlist the services of an identity protection plan that we have here through the International Foundation for Employees. And I definitely had better peace of mind and security knowing um, that everything was sorted out. I ended up working with my bank also to get a new card. And in case you're wondering, I threw out all the weird things that I got in the mail. So I'm not currently using the sponges that I got from from China. Um, and once I got a package with just like, right, like a weird chunk of styrofoam. So anyway, threw it all away. But the bottom line is identity theft resources are just one example of an emerging benefit trend that benefit pros want to know about. What benefit pros? Benefit pros. Benefit pros want to know. Want to know. What benefit pros want to know. And Anne, we uh, actually asked about um, employer paid identity theft insurance um, in our forthcoming employee benefit survey. We found that 10% of responding organizations offer this benefit to their workers. In addition, 18% offer uh, identity theft insurance as a voluntary or employee pay all benefit. And I guess it'd be good to chime in and say, well, what is identity theft insurance and Mm -hmm. what does it typically cover? The main point of coverage is to have a firm monitor all your accounts and make sure they're not being hacked. But if they are hacked, they would alert you to that so you can take appropriate action. Also, many coverages provide access to identity theft counselors. They may even reimburse stolen funds or expenses like lost wages and legal fees. When an employer offers it, they may want to consider covering employees, but also allowing dependents to be covered. Maybe that would be an additional fee. And why an employer would want to offer it? Well, there's a huge growing need. I think we hear about news stories every day where there are data breaches or we talk to a friend and they've been hacked and had to spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to get it straightened out. Mm -hmm. And that leads to another reason why employers would want to cover it is because it's a huge productivity drain. People can't concentrate on their work if they're concerned about their finances and who's out there using their credit card and spending their money. Also, it's a relatively low-cost benefit. It doesn't require a huge investment by employers. Mm -hmm. So if, as an employer or a plan sponsor, you are thinking of offering this type of benefit to your employees and workers, here's a couple of things to consider. So first of all, you might want to uh, not only provide the benefit, but you might want to enhance that by educating your employees about cyber risks and how they can try to keep themselves a little safer and give them ideas on how to prevent this from happening in the first place. Do you maybe want to offer protection that goes beyond financial protection? For example, do you want to provide monitoring of health risks, health identity risks, or even monitoring social media and the like? And when you're choosing a provider, here are some things to look for. For example, make sure that the provider has the capability to uh, not only prevent this from happening, but detect it as well. Do they provide credit reports to the employees? Do they monitor people's checking accounts and loans as well as their credit card activity? Do they go out and check on the dark web to see what's going on with the person? And can they send alerts to mobile devices? So those are some things to take into consideration when you're looking at which provider to use. 
Well, I'll shift gears a little bit and move on to another type of emerging benefit, that of student loan repayment. It's really getting quite a, a bit of press lately. I thought it was interesting. You know, my nephew, Eric, just graduated from college with his undergraduate degree, and he's heading off to law school this fall. And it was very interesting to hear him describe his decision-making process for choosing a law school. He applied to several schools, and among those that accepted his application, he was really not most concerned with the location or even the reputation of the law school. The biggest factor he considered in his decision was the amount of scholarship money he could receive so that he wouldn't have a load of student debt when he graduated. I tell you, student loan debt is like a big black cloud that's hanging over young people these days. Yeah, it's really frightening to think, um, you know, when Kelly and I graduated from college in the, you know, Dark ages? Yeah, stone ages. <laughs> uh, we, you know, certainly came out with some debt, but not to the, the level that it is happening nowadays. It's hard to imagine getting your first job and having that hanging over your head. Well, speaking of that, Julie, knowing we might have been talking about student loan repayment today, we interviewed a 24-year-old, one of our producers and our editor, Amanda. She has a sister, Allie, who, like many her age, graduated with student loan debt. She has her monthly student loan payments as $800 per month. So she's employed in, in her profession, but she's actively looking for a different job. And she said that if she could find an employer who offered a student loan repayment benefit, it would ease a huge burden and a constant worry. Understandably, mm -hmm. and another aspect of this, which is interesting, is that her parents are co-signers, so it would ease the potential burden on them as well um, so that she could repay her loans a little bit faster and they wouldn't be obligated as long. So if all aspects were equal or nearly equal, Allie said that she would definitely choose a job with loan repayment as a benefit over another, which didn't offer it, and employers sometimes require employees receiving this benefit to promise to stay with the employer for a minimum number of years. Uh, so she said even like a five-year commitment to a company isn't necessarily a deterrent, even though she's young. Um, and then she said if she ended up disliking the job, she thinks that the student loan repayment would influence her to stay. Now, Allie did end the interview by saying that if she had two job offers, one with loan repayment as a benefit and one without, but had a higher salary, she'd pick the job with higher pay because she could use that extra money to pay student loans on her own. So that's something for employers to consider, too. It's just interesting to hear a potential a potentially new employee's perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And I'll chime in here quick and just say that uh, we also asked about this uh, specific benefit in our recent uh, employee benefit survey. Um, this benefit is still relatively rare. 4% um, of respondents offer a student loan uh, repayment program, but it's uh, definitely something we'll be tracking uh, for the future. Right. We should also mention why it would be important for an employer to offer this benefit. And as we've discussed, the level of student debt has just soared. According to a study by the consulting firm Oliver Wyman, 70% of college undergraduates borrow money to attend college, and the median amount borrowed for a bachelor's or undergraduate degree is $26,000. And so when it's a median amount, that means that half of the students have more debt than that, and half have less. So it's really a burden. If you go on to graduate school and get your MBA, for example, you could have debt in the neighborhood of $45,000. So if you're paying that back at, say, 6% interest over 15 years, that equates to $386 per month right out of school. 
It's like having another car payment. So obviously, your new employees are coming in and they have this added stress of not just learning the new job, but making sure that they can pay their bills. Um, And that's not good for productivity. Also, it really impairs a worker's ability to save for an emergency or start a fund to buy a house or start a family or even save for retirement. And finally, you know, you do it for recruitment and retention reasons. As Allie mentioned, she could be very um, sensitive to hearing of a job that pays just a little more so it would help her pay off those loans and Mm -hmm. she could leave your company after you've trained her Mm -hmm. and gotten her up to speed just for a, a very small amount of money. So it's a retention issue, definitely. Right. So again, if you're an employer and you're thinking of providing this benefit, here's just a couple of ideas. Uh, First of all, you don't have to start out big. You don't have to be elaborate at the beginning. You can start small and simple um, because that way you can learn how your employees would feel about it, if they're receptive to this idea and will they take you up on it. Maybe start giving... Uh, workers $50 a month and see how that goes. You can bump it up if you'd like later. Decide how much you want to give out and how often you want to give that out. Uh, Some employers will give the money monthly uh, to employees. Sometimes they'll give it to you at the end of the year as a lump sum. You can structure the benefit to encourage employee tenure. Uh, You can offer a maximum repayment of, say, $10,000. And then you can give $1,000 or $1,200 or $2,000 per year. So you can give $100 a month or something like that. And that can stretch out over five years or even 10 years to encourage them to stay with you. When you're starting it, you should decide who you're going to give this to. Are you just going to start it fresh right now and all new hires will be given this option? Is that seen as fair? Do you want to go back and look at people that you've hired within the last couple of years and see if uh, you want to offer that benefit to them as well? Would you want to give it to anybody who still has student loan debt? Do you want to look at providing this maybe by tenure or by role or salary level, different amounts uh, being paid to different groups or classes? All of these are options you might want to consider. If you do go ahead and implement this benefit, make sure to communicate it. It's a valuable benefit. Make sure your employees know that you have this as a benefit and communicate the value of it to them. One thing to remember, it is taxable income to your employees. So you have to take that into consideration when you're doing the administration and make sure to communicate that to your employees who are taking advantage of it as well. And when you're looking for a provider, maybe find one who will do the the loan repayments directly to your employee's loan company so that uh, they don't have to do it or you don't have to give the money to the employee. You can have it just sent out directly to repay the loan. Or maybe find a provider who will help your employees set up debit payments to their loan companies. And aside from offering the actual money, you might want to consider giving your employees access to advice or to debt counseling as well. Those are some good tips, Julie. With all of the talk earlier uh, on the fabulous road trips coming up, I have an idea of another emerging benefit that we could discuss, Mm -hmm. which is unlimited vacation. Mm -hmm. So one of my best friends just started a new job, and she realized about a weekend that the company has an unlimited vacation policy in place, which at first she was super excited about, but then we got to chatting about it. She just said it's it's a little more challenging to navigate because she's never followed a policy like this before. And it's one of those benefits that completely depends on 
on the company culture and what works for the industry and kind of the nature of the employees work. Like if they get all their work done and their day-to-day routine doesn't depend on set vacation rules, then it works great. But it's just an interesting benefit that Julie and Kelly might have some insight on being Mm -hmm. managers yourself on how that might work at an organization. Mm -hmm. Well, first, Justin, why don't you tell us, is this a prevalent benefit or not? It's a little bit rare. Um, According to our, that recent study that we had cited, uh, 2.5% offer this benefit. But there is definitely some benefits and some reasons why employers might want to offer it. This benefit may be attractive to new or younger workers. Um, It's very good for work-life balance, which is something that we keep reading about. The newer generations are valuing that a lot more than maybe a a higher salary or other financial-based benefits. Um, It also preserves privacy for the worker. The employer isn't involved in specifically why the worker uh, is taking off time. So, And in addition to that, it does build accountability and autonomy and even responsibility for employees and conveys a certain amount of trust between the manager and the worker. And finally, I mean, for the employer, it's really less of an administrative burden. They don't have to keep reports and tallies necessarily of how much vacation you're taking. It's kind of left up to the manager, I think, to make sure that things are getting done. Mm -hmm. And um, it it doesn't come without its challenges, however. Um, And as a manager, you would be concerned about how the workload is managed. I mean, you know, how do you account for ongoing and daily or monthly tasks and letting someone take off and making sure there's coverage in the department. Um, You know, it might actually fit better if a lot of the work a particular team does is project-based. Then there's more a beginning and an end to each project Mm -hmm. and an obvious place to take a vacation. Mm -hmm. If some take advantage of this benefit and others don't, the ones who don't may feel put upon. I mean, there could be concern about abuse of the policy. And If your culture in your organization rewards long tenure and increases vacation amounts based on that, that reward is no longer there as kind of an incentive for loyalty. Also, um, if there's not a good culture of trust between the employer and the workers, workers may be suspicious of why this benefit is is being changed and, you know, that that could be difficult to manage. And it's interesting, though, because Early experience um, from companies who've offered this show that actually employees tend to take less vacation than with a more structured Mm -hmm. plan. And that can lead to concerns about whether employees are taking enough vacation and enough needed breaks so that they don't get burned out on their jobs. So if you are an employer and you're considering offering this type of benefit, here are some things to think about. First of all, be mindful of state and federal leave laws and how they may impact this type of benefit. You might want to consider calling this benefit something other than unlimited vacation. Maybe call it something like flexible vacation or responsible vacation. And using the word responsible, you might want to think about creating a responsible policy. For example, you'd want to make sure that this is seen as a two-way street between the employer and the employee because both parties have responsibility. For example, in uh, you could say something like, in exchange for this vacation flexibility, You as the employee are responsible to see that your work gets done and done well and that our organization will be successful and that our customers will be supported and satisfied and that all of our colleagues can live balanced lives. 
You could set a base for minimum vacation use to prevent the uh, challenge that Kelly had mentioned earlier about people not taking enough time. Maybe set up something like everyone must take at least two weeks off. You should and really must communicate the policy effectively to both managers and employees in order for this benefit to work. You should communicate your expectations, how much time off can be requested and how much advance notice is required, how to manage projects and work, how to cover shifts and cover um, phones, for example, and you should identify blackout periods if you're going to have any of those. Managers should really watch and see what's going on with both the workload and the employees. Make sure individuals are taking enough time off so that they don't get burnt out, as Kelly mentioned, but also make sure they're not abusing the policies. And managers should be mindful of the workload to make sure the work is getting done. And managers should take time off, too, to set the example and show the employees who might be somewhat distrusting of why is this happening. Um, they, they're doing this to see how much time I take off. If the manager, him or herself, takes time off, it shows it's okay. Thank you, Julie. Uh, so moving on to our final uh, new perk, pet perks. Mm -hmm. um, I am a new owner of a 10-year-old rescue dog, Rosie. Aww, Rosie. Um, and, yeah. What kind of dog is Rosie? <laughs> Uh, Rosie's a bulldog mix. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've never been a pet owner in my life, so it's been quite a transition. Um, and I can definitely see how this could impact the uh, relationship with employers and employee, uh, whether it be through a workplace pet policy, uh, pet-based leave, or even uh, pet insurance. As someone allergic to cats and dogs, I still love our furry friends, <laughs> but I think things can definitely get dicey when workplaces allow pets at work. So on one hand, pets at work help with recruitment and retention with stress relief, um, and, it, and it provides fewer distractions for owners. Like you were saying, Justin, if you could just bring Rosie into work with <laughs> you, you wouldn't be thinking about her at home. But on the other hand, besides allergies, it's distracting for other employees and employers could face potential damage and legal issues. Mm -hmm. As Justin was talking about our employee benefits survey coming out later this summer, we found that pets at work is only common among 2% of employers. Mm -hmm. And that percentage hasn't increased since we last surveyed our employers in 2016, it was only 2%. So it's just interesting. Right. There are lots of different types of pet perks. Um, for example, a newish one that uh, we've been hearing about is we can fondly call it paternity. It's uh, <laughs> also known as pet care leave, and it gives uh, employees time off to help a pet adjust to its new home. So mm -hmm. for example, you just bought a new home, Justin, maybe Rosie needs time to adjust to her new home. She needs a little time to adjust, and then we need time to adjust to her adjusting. So, <laughs> Well, and when you have a brand new pet, there's things like, you know, potty training. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So we've actually uh, asked about paternity in a few recent surveys. In a recent paid leave study, 19% uh, of respondents said that they offer paternity through a paid time off bank where you can combine different kinds of leaves into one. Only 1% offer paternity through a separate paid plan and 6% offer paternity through unpaid leaves. So you can also kind of bunch that into that group. I was just thinking, so paternity, it's very cute, but 
does it mean that the pets have to have paws? Mm. Like, could oh. it be, what if you had a bird? Oh. What if you had a... <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, it's just an interesting... A snake. Yeah. It's true. It's I mean, just there's a, a lot of... It name, is cute. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Your, your pet could have a beak instead of Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's also the idea of providing pet insurance. Now, pet insurance covers veterinary expenses for things like accidents and illnesses. It doesn't usually cover expenses for routine preventive care. So how common is that, Justin? It's actually a little more common than you might think. Um, 16% of respondents offer this as a voluntary benefit. And again, voluntary benefits are one where the uh, employee pays all the premium, but it's offered by the employer. Okay. And another newish type of benefit is the idea of pet bereavement leave. Uh, we all know that pets are part of our family, and, and when a pet passes away, it can hurt a huge amounts. So some companies do allow employees to take either one, two, or three days of paid or unpaid leave for the loss of a pet. So why would an employer want to offer this? Well, obviously, as we've been talking about Pets are very dear and really a part of a worker's family. For those who don't have kids, it's pets are their children. But it's a recruitment retention issue. It's something that's attractive to new employees and maybe keeps employees around. And again, it's always that issue of stress and distractions and productivity. And with things like the pet insurance, it really can help a worker's financial stresses as well. I mean, veterinary bills can definitely add up. I've had cats and I know that. Mm-hmm. Well, circling back to what Ann mentioned about having pets at work and she has allergies and the like, um, if you're thinking as an employer for allowing your employees to bring their pets at work, I've got a couple of tips for you. First of all, you might want to start with a bring your pet to work day instead of just bring your pet to work every day. Start with <laughs> a day to see how it goes. Uh, see who brings in their pets, how the pets respond at work, and get along with the coworkers and like. Also, if you do decide to uh, offer this benefit, you should set rules and expectations both for the pets and for the pet parents. What is acceptable behavior? Where can pets wander throughout your office and where they shouldn't go? Make sure to specify that pet owners and parents need to clean up after them and the like. Um, should there be recess or not, and et cetera. So have some policies and, and expectations. Okay. And which pets are allowed, paws or not. Like, you don't <laughs> exactly. want those people yeah. bringing in their snakes. <laughs> there well, is birds. you want maybe. them to bring in their snakes. Just can <laughs> sit right on your cubicle. Thinking of, of Anne and her allergies, mentioning that again, you have to take into consideration what um, will happen with your workers who have allergies. Come up with a, a solution for them. Will you allow them to work from home that particular day? If you're doing a test day, um, will you let them take a day of vacation or uh, have some unpaid time off? Or, it, you know, separate the building into pet zones and non-pet zones or mm-hmm. something like that. That's a good so. way to do it, too. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Julie, Anne, and Kelly for discussing these new emerging benefit trends. I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our loyal listeners, Neil Markvicka. Right. And I'd like to also give a shout out to another loyal listener, Linnell Meath, who works at MRA, the Management Association here in town. She told me she listens to every episode. Very nice. So nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And we will uh, talk to you next week. Uh, Next month. Next month. (laughs) 
you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to it in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you prefer, so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Today's program is copyrighted in 2018 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel.